Great God in heaven, we thank you for your word, for the gift that it is to us, how you meticulously brought together this canon for us, how you preserved it for thousands of years. Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us through the power of your word. Lord, we pray that as we open your word this morning, that you would speak in spite of a foolish and frail servant. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us all of us, through the power of Your Word. God, that You would convict us, that You would encourage us, that You would comfort us, and that You would challenge us. All this is possible by the power of Your Holy Spirit working through Your Word. Lord, I pray that, that my words would be stopped, and that Yours would flow forward, and that we would all have eyes to see, and ears to hear, and hearts to understand, that we might turn from our sins, and turn to You, our merciful Savior. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus our Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to You, God, our Father in Heaven. Amen. Amen. This morning, after much prayer and deliberation, I believe that the Lord is leading us to a study in the book of Philippians. So our next sermon series will be in the book of Philippians. So, of course, beginning a study of Philippians... Our first sermon in this series will be from Acts chapter 16. Uh-huh. I saw some of you. I saw you already flipping to Philippians. That's the book of Philippians, but we will begin our segue into Philippians by looking at Acts chapter 16. We're going to begin in verse 11, and we're going to read all the way through verse 40. We're going to begin in verse 11 and read all the way through verse 40. So if you have a copy of Scripture, I invite you to take it. Turn with me, or you can follow along on the screen. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture, there is one in the pew in front of you. You feel free to take that. Keep it as our gift to you. However you're accessing the Word of the Lord, I would ask, if you're able, would you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's Holy Word. It is our tradition at Bethany that I will read this passage for us. When I conclude, I will say this is the Word of the Lord, and I encourage you all to respond by saying, Thanks be to God. It's been a few weeks since we've done this together, and so I just want to remind everyone that that is how we will do that this morning. Let's look together at Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11. The word of the Lord says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposed, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, 
turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. To begin our study in Acts in Philippians, we go to Acts chapter 16, because Acts chapter 16 is the foundation of the church at Philippi. This is taking place during Paul's second missionary journey. So it's sometime in the late 40s or early 50s, sometime maybe between year 49 and maybe year 52, that Paul is going on this second missionary journey. And you'll notice that much of the language is inclusive. So the physician Luke, who is the author of Acts, is more than likely with him during this time. And as Paul is traveling from place to place, he comes to the city of Philippi. And we have three particular stories of what I would like to suggest to you this morning are three of the founding members and founding families at the church at Philippi. Now, you'll have to give me a little bit of room for some divine speculation. I don't know that Scripture directly has a verse that says that these three people were the founding members, but these are three people who were converted to Christ 
and then Paul meets with them again before they leave. So it seems very likely that these three people that come to know Jesus and trust in him are the foundation of the church at Philippi. All three of them are very unique individuals. All three of them have very unique stories, and yet they make up one church in Philippi. And the story begins, and we hear about a woman named Lydia. Now, Lydia is an incredible woman. She is the kind of woman who has it all going on. She is a businesswoman, and she is well-respected. She is a dealer of purple goods. She is from the city of Thyatira, but she's actually in Philippi. More than likely, she's got homes in both locations. For a woman in this day and age to be a homeowner in two places, that's a very big deal. This is a dealer of purple goods. Purple is synonymous with royalty. She is selling fine cloths of the finest color to the finest people in society, and this woman is not hurting for wealth. She is probably a modern-day designer for, uh, you know, that company that makes uh, purses and stuff, Channel, those people. She probably works for Channel. Or, uh, Chanel, I know, I'm sorry, it's a bad joke. You've got to do it, though. I mean, I just can't help it. It's a corny joke. It's all I can handle. Versace, Gucci, something like that. She is one of those high-dollar names in New York City designing all the fashion trends that we're all buying down here in Alabama. That is the kind of person that Lydia is. She's also a God-fearer, which means she's searching for God, but she doesn't really know how she is searching for Him. She has a respect for Jews, and so she gathers together in this place by the river where they're supposed to just meet and, and have prayer. It's not a synagogue. It's, it's not a place that Jews gather and study the Word together, but it is a, a prayer gathering. And so Paul, in his normal fashion... Every city that he goes to, he looks for the synagogue. He goes to the Jews and the God-fearers first, and then to the Gentiles. So he meets this lady named Lydia. And it's very important that in every single circumstance that we are shown here in this chapter of Acts, the Holy Spirit moves first. The Holy Spirit moves in Lydia and gives Lydia eyes to see ears to hear and a heart to understand as Paul lays out the gospel and the Holy Spirit uses Paul as a vessel and Lydia believes in the gospel. And it says her and her whole household. Now listen, some people like to argue that if one person is saved, that their belief can cover their entire household. That is not the case. That is not what happens here with Lydia. It's not what happens with the jailer when we get to him in just a moment. The jailer and Lydia both believe and turn to their families and share the gospel with them. And as a community, as a household, they all hear the gospel. They all see each other believing. And in a communal way, they individually make decisions to trust in Christ. There is no way that I can believe in Jesus and believe in Jesus so strongly that my wife and my children are covered by my belief. There was no way that Abraham's belief could be credited to him as righteousness and to Isaac as righteousness. Isaac had to believe himself. Abraham had to believe himself. Each of these households moved together because as a family unit, when the leader of their household commits their life to Christ, it's influential to them. If it really matters to them, and I see them making this decision, maybe it is real. Maybe I should trust in Jesus. We still see that happening 
today. When fathers get involved in church and bring their children to church, the children still make their own decision, but when they see their father trusting in Jesus, when they see their father worshiping Jesus, when they look to their mom and their mom has her hands raised in complete surrender as we sing, as we worship, when they find their mother opening the Bible and reading God's Word morning after morning, evening after evening, it commends them to Christ. And it is very likely that those that are raised in a Christian home who see Christ modeled, Christ following modeled for them, will follow in their parents' footsteps. It's not a guarantee, but it is highly probable. In the same way, Lydia trusts in Jesus. And her whole household is so impacted by her decision and by Paul's words that they decide to follow Christ as well. And so Lydia is our first founding member and founding family wherein the church in Philippi begins. It's probably her house that the church meets at. Also, do not miss that there are people in this world that are going to tell you that women are less important and less valuable. And there was never a time in our culture when women were discredited as much as in ancient Near East culture. There is no reason to put Lydia's name down and get credentials, get validation from the culture at large. The fact that you mention Lydia, a woman, actually discredits your movement. And yet here in Scripture we find time and time and time again the role of women being exalted as just as equal, just as important as the role of men. Different yet equally valuable. Not same, but equal. And so Lydia is extremely important, and the Bible promotes women as important and valuable, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. If that were the case, Lydia's story would be skipped altogether. The women who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead, their testimony would have been thrown out, but they are the ones credited to see Jesus first. Over and over again, the Bible validates how important and priceless women are how valuable they are to the ministry. And so do not let somebody who pretends to be a Bible thumper, who pretends to know what Scripture really teaches, tell you that women ought to submit and obey and stay in their place, and they ain't important in the Bible. It's all the men that do all the work. That ain't true. Why would Lydia be here if it was? Why would Priscilla's name precede Aquila in them teaching Apollos? Women are just as important as men. Don't let anyone say to you the Bible says otherwise. So Lydia, her house is probably where the church starts. And then we continue and we find a possessed slave girl. This girl could not be more opposite from Lydia in any other way. She is a slave, so she is owned. She is demon possessed, so she's not a God fearer. She has no money. She probably has no home of her own, much less two. She's from the opposite end of the social status structure. She's from the opposite end of the socioeconomic structure. And she is having a hard time because she is possessed by a demon. And she is being taken advantage of. These men have come along that own her. And they have used the fact that she is demon possessed for their own gain. She's trying to tell fortunes for people. She's trying to predict the future. She's trying to read signs and use the influence of this evil spirit that is within her to tell people their futures. And these guys are getting rich off of her suffering. It's a truly evil situation. And so this woman sees 
Paul and Silas. And the spirit that is possessing her recognizes the Lord and forces her to call out to them. You might be thinking, you know, that's not so bad. I mean, the demon's recognizing these men are of the Most High God and tell you the way to salvation. What's so bad about that, right? Well, it's pretty bad if you associate the truth with someone whose whole life is based on falsehood. If the medium, if the witch, if the diviner is walking around saying that these guys are true, it cuts their legs out from under them. It discredits them because everybody that thinks that she's wackadoodle, all right, and won't go listen to her and her prophecies and her fortunes is going to say, well, I can't go listen to these guys either. This is another woman who helps begin the church in Philippi. She starts in a place of absolute poverty, spiritually, mentally, physically, monetarily. And this demon is making her follow these guys around. How many of you guys are okay with being followed for like, I mean, even 30 seconds? Like, is anybody else just a little bit paranoid like I am? Like, if somebody makes three turns that I make, I'm like, okay, hang on, what's going on? Why is this car behind us? All right, I'm going to take two more right turns that I don't need to take, and let's see if they stay with me, all right? I'm not going to go directly home. I'm going to take the long way around. I don't know. Maybe I've watched too many, like, cop shows or something, but I'm just assuming that somebody behind me must be following me somewhere. Walking? You know, like, if if I'm walking and I'm going down here, and now all of a sudden you're kind of following me, I'm going to, you know, I'm kind of checking over my shoulder. I'm not comfortable. You know, I'm doing that thing where you get your keys, you know, and you take your keys and you like put them between your hands so that you got like something to, you know, jab them with. I'm just, just in case. And I was going that way, but now I'm going to go right because I don't really know. And now you're trying to like catch up to me and talk to me and talk at me. And I'm like, I'm trying to find like, where's an authority? Where is somebody? I get annoyed. It's, it's bothersome. Do you remember being in class and the person sitting behind you going, Hey man, Hey man, Hey man, Hey man, Hey man, What? This is what Paul deals with for days. Don't think that Paul's impatient. This woman's following him around. These men proclaim the way to salvation. These men are from the Most High God. These men proclaim the way to salvation. These men are from the Most High God. How long could you put up with it? These men proclaim the way to salvation. These men are from the Most High God. She's yelling, y'all. She's not whispering, okay? Don't, don't read into this text that she's going around. These men are from God. They proclaim the way to salvation. She listened to them. And she's following behind everywhere, she, everywhere they go. So Paul finally, he turns around and rebukes them in the name of Jesus. And the demon flees from within her. By the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the same Paul who we're told that they would take his handkerchief. What he sneezed on. And go and cast demons out of people with his handkerchief. All right? It wasn't his handkerchief that was doing anything. It was the Holy Spirit working through Paul. The Holy Spirit makes the first move and casts the demon out of the woman. And now we don't have a record where she turned and surrendered and hit her knees and said, I believe in Christ right now. But I want you to know that happens every time Jesus casts the demon out of somebody. They run off praising and trusting Jesus. And so I have to believe that this same thing happened for this possessed girl who was having a spirit of divination. And now not only has she been exploited for the spirit of divination, now that she's trusted in Jesus and she can no longer tell the future and she refuses to put on an act. That's another reason that she probably did follow Jesus. Because she's no longer comfortable even pretending to be possessed by the evil spirit. 
She's no longer comfortable pretending to read palms. And so these men that own her are out of a lot of money. And so this is the second person that begins the church in Philippi. And then lastly, Paul and Silas are then taken before everybody in the middle of the court. And then they get thrown in jail. The magistrates, they throw them in jail because they're causing an uproar. They weren't really causing an uproar. In, second, in I think it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul talks about how shamefully and how terribly they were treated when they went to Philippi. It's not that the Christians received them poorly. It was that the town received them poorly. And they're thrown into the prison. And then the jailer even locks them in the innermost part of the prison. The jailer probably lived upstairs from the prison. And the prison was probably tossed food down from a hole in the floor. I had the privilege of getting to go to Israel a while back, and they still have some of the houses that are set up like this that are still artifacts that you can see where they used to have prisons in this manner. So they're locked up, and they're downstairs, and everything is, is they're just, you know, oh, well, whatever the Lord's going to do this time we're in. How many more times is Paul going to end up shipwrecked or stranded or arrested? You know, Paul doesn't mind. He's just going with the flow. Silas is there with him. But what are they doing? Man, they are singing, praying, quoting hymns. I mean, there, there are hymns and songs even in Paul's day. There are songs for them to sing. They, they had psalms memorized that had turned into hymns. They were praising Jesus. And God causes, God makes the first move once again. God causes for there to be an earthquake that shatters all the shackles, that breaks open all the doors, and everyone in the prison, not just Paul and Silas, everyone in the prison stays where they are. And when the jailer realizes it, if you're a Roman jailer, you're an officer of the law, and you are responsible for a prisoner, and you lose that prisoner, you have lost your life. And so this jailer decides, you know what? for me to just wait around i'm not going to let somebody else take my life i'll take it for me so he draws his sword and somehow paul recognizes that he has drawn his sword maybe it makes one of those special movie sounds from the you know sound effect department i don't i don't know maybe the holy spirit inspires him to know what the jailer is about to do but what ends up happening is paul says whoa 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 whoa, whoa. don't go anywhere don't do anything we're all everyone still in here the jailer understands How miraculous this is. And he hits his knees and says, what must I do to be saved? And so he believes. And it influences all of his household. And his whole household comes to trust in Jesus. And so it brings us to the very end of the passage. I want you to notice verse 40. Verse 40, they go out of the prison and visit Lydia. And had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and then departed. The use of brothers here in Adelphoi is probably more in relation to brothers and sisters when they had seen their siblings in Christ, the gathering of their fellow believers, and then they depart. Paul does something very strategic before he leaves that prison that's very important for us to remember today. He says... They must come and apologize to me, for I am a Roman citizen. Before he will leave the church, he establishes that the church has some clout. He kind of carves out space for the church, if you, if you know what I mean. He doesn't want the magistrates to think that Christians can just be easily persecuted. He wants to swing around the clout of being a Roman 
citizen and force the magistrates to come and apologize to him instead of being sent out secretly so that the people in Philippi will have a little bit more respect for the church that has just been established. And then he goes to meet with Lydia and the brothers and sisters to let them know how to stay firm in the faith and to let them know what his actions were with the magistrates. So now Paul has intentionally carved out a little bit of protection from persecution for them by holding the feet of the magistrates to the fire. And he lets them know that. Let's them know how to be organized as a church. They say, hey guys, y'all probably should meet in Lydia's house. It's the biggest house and she can take care of everybody. But I want you to recognize we have a story in chapter 16 of a church that is famous throughout all of history. It's one of the very first churches founded. And it's a rich lady, a wealthy lady, who's a, who's a homeowner, a businesswoman, a possessed slave girl, and a Roman jailer. I want you to look around this room. And I want you to understand that we are filled in this place with some Lydia's, with some possessed demon girls, and possessed demon boys who've been rescued and freed and shackles have been broken. And we've got some jailers in here too. Folks, the church is made up of all types of people from every walk of life, from every socioeconomic status, from everywhere and every corner of the earth, there are men, there are women, there are red and yellow, brown and black and white, and every color in between. The church is made up of all people from all places and has been since the beginning of the church. When Paul founded a church, the Holy Spirit moved in such a way into these people's hearts to draw them to the gospel so that they might all believe so that his church might not just be filled with a bunch of white men or with a bunch of white women or with a bunch of Hispanic folks or with a bunch of black folks or with a bunch of Asian folks. He wants all people from all nations intermingled together from all ages, from all socioeconomic statuses. He wants the poor people in here with the rich people. He wants the middle class people in here with everybody else. He wants the people that are from every walk of life, that have struggled with drugs, that have been in chains and in shackles. He wants them among us. And sometimes I think we forget that even the church of Philippi was riddled with people who had problems. Riddled with people who were wealthy and poor, old and young. People who were literally in slavery. That's the makeup of the church in Philippi. And it grew explosively. They gave sacrificially. They supported Paul even in the face of persecution. This is a church that God used in mighty and powerful ways. And we still are studying and looking at it today. There's a problem in our churches when we all look the same. When we all act the same. When we're all from the same walk of life. When we all make the same amount of money, when we're all the same age, when we're all from the same place, it's a problem. Folks, church is not about me. Church is not about you. Church is about us. 
church is about us worshiping God and glorifying God together. About reaching every corner of every nation and every type of person by any means necessary. Before we get into this story, you have an example of Timothy going to great lengths to make sure that the Jews could still hear the gospel, that he could proclaim to them. Over and over again, we have people doing whatever it takes to be all things to all people that some might come to know the Lord. And folks, I, I think it, it happens very easily. We set a tradition. We fall into that tradition. We set a norm for our church. These are the kind of people that we welcome. These are not the kind of people that we welcome. These people look like me and act like me, and they're in the same socioeconomic status. So it's easy for me to talk to them, so I'm just going to stick with them. Well, see, I go to Andalusia, and these people go to Andalusia, so I'll just stick with them. Well, these people go to Red Level, and I go to Red Level, so I'll just stick with them. Well, these people go to Strawn, and I go to Strawn, so I'll just stick with with them. Well, these people are professionals like I'm a professional, so I'll just stick with them. Well, these people are old and I'm old, so I'll stick with them. Well, these people are fat and I'm fat and they know the struggles that I go through, so I'm going to stick with them. These people are young and so I'm just going to stick with the young people. And I want you to see in Scripture from the very beginning that's not how it worked. You had a slave girl going to church with the richest woman in town. And they were besties. They were BFF and F forever and ever and ever. They loved each other and prayed for one another. Lydia tried to help get the woman released, I'm sure. She prayed that her masters would be easier on her. Supported her when she was persecuted. Okay, look, it's not specifically spelled out in the text. But give me just a little bit of wiggle room because that's the kind of woman that Lydia was. you got to go to church with a Roman jailer and you hate Rome you got to go to church with somebody who works for the government that you despise, but that's how they pay the bills. And they're using their position to reach other people, other soldiers, other jailers for Christ. And they went to church together in a room way smaller than this one. You can't just sit on the other side of the sanctuary and be like, you know what, I'm going to go to church with them, but I ain't going to sit by them. I, I ain't, I'm not going to do that. That's not me. I mean, they can kind of be in the same church, but I'm not in the church, a part of the church with them. It takes all types of people, and God desires all types of people. So when we look around this sanctuary, when we're gathered together as a church, we should see all peoples from all walks of life. And if we don't, then we have to recognize maybe we have some biases in the way that we're reaching out. Maybe I'm only reaching out to other people that I'm comfortable talking to instead of being willing to step way outside of my comfort zone and talk to somebody that intimidates me or scares me or I don't know where they've been and I don't know who they are and I don't know what walk of life they're from. Maybe they're a vagabond. Maybe they're somebody that's just wandering. Maybe they got mental health issues. I don't know if I want to reach out to them. Well, Paul reached out to a demon-possessed girl right after talking to the rich woman, right before meeting up with a jailer. We don't get to choose. God moves, and we are vessels of His Spirit. and We reach out to whosoever will and invite them to church with us, to be part of this church. 
with us. And folks, I know that I'm guilty of this. It's hard because there's some people that you're just more comfortable with and some people that you just enjoy being around. And so you gravitate towards those people. But what we don't realize is happening is that we're forming cliques all across. And some of it can be innocent. It's not, you know what, I, I just I feel very comfortable around Pam, so Pam's going to be my friend and I'm just going to hang out with her. That's where it starts. There's nothing wrong with that. That's your entryway into the church. But now you've got to move across the row and you've got to go sit next to Jake because you know what? He's weird. He's got a cool beard. He's new. He's, he's lanky and skinny and I don't know what's going on. He's got four kids. He's not ordained. What are we going to do with this guy? But I'm going to go sit by him. I mean, I, maybe I don't get along with him, but I can learn about him. I'm going to go sit next to Christy Cobb. I know that she teaches at Strawn and I'm from Andalusia. And I, but, you know, we're both teachers. We can kind of make this work a little bit. I'm going to go sit with some of the teenagers. I know that they're young, and this generation is crazy, and they're, they're going to you-know-where in a handbasket. I, I know what's going on with this generation. I'm going to go sit with them and love on them and let them know that they don't have to be caught up in all this stuff and that I had a lot of the same struggles when I was growing up. I'm going to go sit with some of the older people because, you know what, they sure have learned a lot in life, and they've been through stuff that I've been through. Man, we're, we're just desperate to have kids, and we, we can't seem to have kids. But, you know, I, I think I'm going to invest in our children's ministry because... I just love being around kids. I, I just, I love, I love children and I want God to bless me with my own. So I, I think I'm going to invest in children until God gives me my own. Folks, that's what church looks like. It looks like being uncomfortable and inconvenient and having terribly awkward conversations. Hey, you like football? No. Uh, how about the weather, huh? Be willing to step out there and talk to somebody that you don't normally talk to. Because the church in Philippi had people who were demon-possessed, wealthy people, and jailers that made up their congregation. And when we look around this congregation, we got wealthy people, we got jailers, we got people coming out of demon bondage. Whatever that may look like. We need each other, just like the church in Philippi needed one another. So how are we together as a church? going to reach across the aisle and love those who look, act, and even smell different than us. That's our challenge from Acts this morning. Would you bow? Would you pray with us? God, we thank you that the church even is possible. The only reason the church exists, Lord, is because you sent your son to die in our place. Because we are traitors. Because we have betrayed you. We have rebelled from your good, kind nature. And we have justly brought wrath upon ourselves. And God, Lydia believed that there was salvation in Christ and Christ alone. And Lord, so did the demon-possessed woman and so did the jailer. And God, we gather together because all believe that. But Father, if there is one here this morning that does not believe that, I pray you would help them to see that for thousands of years there have been people giving their whole lives to you who are the only truth, the only life. That no man comes to you. No man goes to the Father except through Jesus Christ, the Son. Lord, this morning I, I know that I need to repent because I'm, I'm guilty of 
gravitating towards certain groups. Father, I pray that you help us not to be a church categorized by cliques, but to be a messy church filled with messy people who love one another like crazy. God, help us to be unified by your Spirit, to be filled with your peace. And Lord, as we go into a time of response, we ask that your Spirit would move upon us, convict us where we have failed you. Change our hearts, create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew right spirits within us. Father, we ask these things as humbly as we know how. We ask them in the name of Jesus, our Messiah and Savior.